Good morning, again, it's me again. <laughs> it's good to be with you here on Father's Day. Uh, I'm lucky enough to be a father myself. I see two of my boys trickling into their pew right now. There's Whitaker sitting down there. Uh, and I know they were hard at work on a Father's Day card of some sort for me this morning. So uh, I feel very blessed, very lucky to be a dad today. The, you know, there's a point in the Bible where Jesus, Jesus talks about fathers a lot. Scripture talks about fathers a lot. There's a point where Jesus is teaching us uh, something about how to pray. He's talking to his followers, and he calls out fathers. Uh, he starts speaking to them. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, my boys know that I love them, and I want to take care of them. So if they ask me for a candy bar, well, I may say yes or I may say no, depending on whether it's a good idea to have a candy bar right now, but I sure won't give them a scorpion, will I? No, I know how to take care of them at least a little better than that. Um, and I love that idea uh, that we can approach God like a child, right? We can come to him in prayer. We can ask him for what we need, pour out our heart before him, just as trusting and safe as a little kid talking to their father. But I find that's not always easy to do, even if we know that's the case. I remember having a conversation with a friend, a good friend once, who asked me how I could imagine that there was any point in praying, that prayer could actually do anything. And this friend didn't have a problem believing that God was all-knowing or all-present so he could hear our prayers. He didn't have a problem believing that God was all-powerful and could answer our prayers. But he said, if God is all-present and all-knowing and all-powerful, why should he listen to me? And that's not a bad question to think through. I mean, I know, I know my heart, I know my history, and I don't know about you, but there have certainly been times that I am praying, I'm talking to God, and I wonder, well, am I asking for the right thing? Or am I asking for the right reasons, or even if I am asking for the right thing or the right reasons, I mean, I know how I just acted the other day. You know, why, why do I deserve for this thing that I'm praying about to go well? It, it can be hard. We get tripped up looking at ourselves. But I want to look today at someone else, uh, someone in Scripture, who asks God for something, maybe not with the right heart or for the right reasons, um, but the way God answers him is really interesting. So I'd like to dig into that together. Uh, so if you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 32, if you're using the Black Bible in the pew in front of you, it's on page 33, and we'll start there in verse 22. So Genesis, where you look for it, Genesis is the book of beginnings, and we're looking right now at the beginning of the nation of Israel. It started with God calling a man called Abraham to leave his home and follow him to a new land. 
It's continued with Abraham's son Isaac, and now Isaac's son Jacob. And Jacob is who we're following here in chapter 32. Now Jacob's been, at this point, has been away from home for a long time, and he's on his way back. But there's a problem with this homecoming, because he's got an older brother named Esau, and they did not part on good terms. In fact, it was bad enough that Jacob is genuinely scared that Esau might be ready to kill him on sight if he shows his face. Now, Jacob's become pretty wealthy at this point in the story, so what he's decided to do is send all of his wealth, all his possessions, his servants, his herdsmen, his flocks, out ahead of him to meet Esau first and give him a whole bunch of presents and hope to kind of soften him up. Okay, so Jacob stayed behind with his family just outside of Esau's territory. So in Genesis chapter 32, verse 22, that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions, so Jacob was left alone. And I love the setting here. We've got Jacob alone in the desert, it's late at night. feels like a scene from, a, from an old western or something. But in verse 24, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Okay, so this is a little crazy. Out of nowhere, someone shows up and now there's wrestling going on. Okay, so we continue in verse 25. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and man and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. So this is a wild story. All right, Jacob wrestles with someone all night long. Apparently that someone is God. I honestly don't completely understand how that worked. I don't know if this was an angel representing the Lord. I don't know if this was God in in physical form somehow, but Jacob is convinced, and Scripture tells us that it is God that he wrestled with. And even wilder is that apparently God lets him win, right? He could clearly disable him with a touch. Jacob is amazed at the end of it that his life was spared, right? That's how, how he names the place. But God just let Jacob pin him and get a blessing out of it. And that's what jumps out at me when I read this story. I want to know why Jacob got a blessing here. Is God just rewarding him for being a great wrestler? What's going on? Right? Maybe, maybe it's because Jacob is such an awesome guy that he just deserves God's blessing. Right? He's earned it somehow. Well, it's probably not that. Let's take a look at Jacob's past real quick. You don't need to turn there, but I'll read to you from earlier in Genesis where it talks about his birth, okay? Isaac's wife, Rebekah, is pregnant with twins at this point. And the Lord says to her, two nations are in your womb. 
And two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Now, if you are a future father-to-be in this audience, you might not want to take your baby naming tips from this passage. This is not the most creative baby naming in history. Esau comes out born a really hairy baby, and the name Esau means hairy. And then Jacob is born holding on to his brother's heel, and the name Jacob literally means he grasps the heel. So here are my kids, hairy and grabby. Nice to meet you. But that phrase, he grasps the heel, it means more than that in Hebrew. It was a saying that meant either he usurps, he, he takes what's not his, or he deceives. He's a tricky one. And sure enough, Jacob grows up tricky. In the first story that we read about him, he scams Esau out of his share of their inheritance. Then later, he tricks his father, Isaac, into giving him the blessing that he meant to give to Esau. So he's usurped Esau's future pretty handily, but it doesn't go well for him. He doesn't get to enjoy it long, right? This is why he has to leave uh, his home in the first place, because Esau, his older brother, is so angry that he's ready to kill Jacob. So Jacob has to hightail it out of there. He's got to get out of Dodge and go live with his uncle Laban, where he gets a taste of his own medicine. Laban scams Jacob once or twice. Jacob pulls a few over on Laban. This rocky relationship goes on for about 20 years until it gets to a this town ain't big enough for the both of us situation, and Jacob decides to head back home. So that's where we find him in the darkness, hoping his brother hasn't put a hit out on him, wrestling with God. So if we look back in chapter 32, where we were, in verse 26, it says, Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So Jacob, whose name literally means grasper, who has been grasping at whatever he can get, all his life, is now literally grasping this figure he's wrestling with, saying, I am not letting go until you bless me. And what does God ask him? He says, what's your name? See, Jacob fooled his brother, he's fooled his father, he's fooled his uncle, but he has not fooled God. God knows exactly who Jacob is, probably better than Jacob does himself, and he lets him know it. He makes him say it out loud. What's your name? Jacob, the grasper. And this is the amazing part of the story to me because what I expect now is that God's going to put Jacob in his place, right? I expected to go, what's your name? Jacob. Yeah, that's right. Now get your graspy little hands off of me. But that's not what happens. God calls him out, but then he gives him a blessing. He says, you're not going to be Jacob anymore, who's deceiving his way through life. You're going to be Israel, who struggled and overcome. Why? 
Why does Jacob get so much more than he might you know, seem to us like he deserves? It's because there's been another story going on for longer than Jacob's story. Ever since Adam and Eve first had to leave the garden, God told them he had a plan to restore his broken creation. And as part of that plan, God made a promise a few generations back to Abraham. He promised to make a great nation out of his offspring. He promised to bless them and bless others through them and to bring them into a land of their own. He made that same promise to Abraham's son, Isaac. He told Rebekah that promise would carry on to her younger child, and he made that promise again to Jacob during his journey. And despite all of Jacob's choices along the way, God has been with him. He's protected him, he's caused him to prosper, and he gives him a blessing now. And it's not because of who Jacob is or what he's done, but because of who God is and what he has been doing. Now I want to fast forward almost 2,000 years in history, a thousand pages in the Pew Bible in front of you, and look at a slightly different conversation. Um, if you turn to page 1052 of your, of your Pew Bible, to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. So at this point in John chapter 4, we're following Jesus as he's traveling, and he's passing through an area called Samaria. So in John chapter 4, verse 5, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came out to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Let me stop and explain a minute here uh, what the tension is there. About uh, halfway, really, between Jacob and Jesus, roughly, uh, the kingdom of Assyria had come uh, and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And they took most of the Israelites off into captivity, but they left some behind to live in that area. They also brought in other people, Assyrian people and people from other lands they had conquered, and they all kind of mingled together. So the Samaritans were the descendants of the Jews and the Gentiles in that region who had intermarried together. So Samaritans were kind of outcasts. Gentiles didn't really love them because they were too Jewish for them. They, they seemed pretty Jewish. But the Jews didn't love them because they, uh, they were too Gentile. And in fact, they looked down on them all the more because they thought of them as, as traitors. They hadn't protected this bloodline. They had mixed with the foreigners. So they often looked down on them. So already this woman would not have expected a Jewish man to be talking to her. Besides that, uh, not only is she a Samaritan, but she's a woman. Uh, and in this time, uh, women were not in a wonderful place in society. You were somewhere less valuable than cattle, but more valuable than kids uh, if, you were, if you were a woman, right? So for, for a man to be asking her for a drink, especially a Jewish man, was a big deal. And then this woman in particular, we're going to find as we read on, 
um, was dealing with some shame. She felt some shame as well. So she sees herself right now, and, and the society see, around her sees her as, as pretty much the lowest of the low. And she wonders, why on earth are you even talking to me? In verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus doesn't answer with a statement about the woman, but about himself. Rather than respond to her question about why he's talking to her, he says, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for what I have. Let's look on in verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Just like God knew Jacob for who he was, Jesus knows this woman's story. Just like God asks Jacob his name, Jesus asks this woman where her husband is. He makes it clear that he knows her inside and out. And yet he goes on to tell her that he's the Christ, that this living water he has is for her, and that the day is coming when she will worship in spirit and in truth. Instead of passing over her because of who she is or what she's done, he brings her blessing because of who he is and what he has come to do. Jesus doesn't tell her, well, if only you hadn't sinned, or if only you could pray the perfect prayer, or if only you were good enough or smart enough or strong enough, then you could have this living water. He just says, if you knew who I was and what I had in store for you, you'd ask and I would give it. This is what I want you and me to take away from this today. Jacob could ask for a blessing and receive one, not because of who he was, but in spite of who he was and because of who God is and what he had promised. Just like the woman at the well can come before Jesus, uh, we can come before Jesus, not because of who we are, but in spite of who we are and what we've done, because of who he is and what he came to do. So what is that? What did he come to do? If you'll turn with me one last time, this is the last time I'll make you flip, to the beginning of this gospel, John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, in verse 12, John is writing about Jesus and why he came into the world, what he came into the world to do. And he says in verse 12, 
Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is how we can come before an all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God of the universe and ask him to protect us or to provide for us or to make us holy like he is holy. This is how we can bring our needs to him as simply as a child talking to our father because Jesus, God himself, was born as one of us, lived the perfect life that we could not, gave his life as the sacrifice to pay for who we are and what we had done so that through who he is and what he has done, we have the right to become children of God. Have you ever heard someone tell you, that's not a right, it's a privilege, right? Heard that from a teacher or a boss or a parent. What they mean is this is something conditional. You don't have this no matter what. It can be taken away. But that word right here in John, the Greek word is exousia, and it means entitlement. This is something we can't lose. This can't be taken away because it's not based on us. It's not based on what we do or what we've done. We can't lose this. Now, it doesn't mean that we could just go on doing whatever um, and and not, not being convicted, not changing. In fact, one of the things that God promises to do when we come to him um, and ask him for help is to change us. He does not leave Jacob as Jacob, the grasper. He does not leave the woman to continue on in her sin. But we can't lose it because of what we've done either. Maybe you feel like the woman at the well sometimes. Like there are things that you've done or things that have been done to you uh, that made you someone that God wouldn't want. I want to tell you today that Jesus came into the world so that you, if you believe in him, could have the right to be called a child of God. Maybe you feel like Jacob, like you needed to scratch and scrape and wrestle to get whatever you can out of life to provide for yourself. God helps those who helps themselves, right? I want to tell you today that God has a plan for your life to call you to himself, to bless you and prosper you and make you holy like he is holy that is based entirely on his strength and his goodness, not on yours.